Our Bible reading this morning will be from Genesis 1, verse 26, to Genesis 2, verse 3. This will be found in your pew Bibles on page 3. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the word of the Lord. only is Anita reading scripture this morning, she got the coffee ready for afterwards, so. That phrase, prone to wander, in the song we sang earlier today, sticks with me. It's a, it's a poignant phrase, I've heard many other people talk about it as well as one of those, one of those lyrics that somehow just gets into us and, and describes our hearts. It is a, a, one of those kind of ways of opening up through our language something that we experience. That even in, in lands of good and plenty and in seasons where things seem to be going really well, our hearts have a tendency to wander away from God. We turn and walk after our own ways. The people of Israel, shortly after they get into the, into the promised land and, and they've done the work with Joshua of, of moving out the other nations from the land and they're settling into the land and you read in the book of Judges, which comes right after that, everyone did what was good in their own eyes. And it becomes a refrain that goes throughout the book of Judges. That, that here they have this promised land. They have all the goodness of God displayed right in front of them. And they're experiencing the fullness of God's grace. And yet they go and do what seems right and good in their own eyes. And they wander away. It's actually in the background of this text too or or should I say it's just after this text that the same thing happens. You have God who, who creates this, this amazing heaven and earth, this unspoiled creation, and puts it out in front of God's people. And, and despite all the goodness, 
God has to say to them a short while later, where are you? Where are you? Because God's people, Adam and Eve, even though it was just two of them there, they have wandered off from God and done what is right and pleasing in their own eyes as they took the bite of that fruit. We say here week in and week out, God is good, and we respond with all the time. And it is a good refrain, and part of the reason we do that refrain so frequently is because we need the reminder so frequently that God is indeed good to us. We're starting today what will be a three-week series, maybe four, we'll see how it goes. But three weeks for sure, the next three weeks on God's good gifts to us and how God is demonstrating from the beginning of Scripture this goodness to us, giving us good gifts and inviting us to come enjoy the richness of the life he offers to us. And that is true in this text. I don't know if you recognized it, but... Right after God creates Adam and Eve, after he creates male and female and he brings them together, he says, go out, multiply, fill the earth. And when you do, I'm giving you this good gift of food. Did you notice that? Like right away, God says, I've got, I've got something for you to do. I, I've got work for you to do. But before you do any of it, before you've shown me that you're worth anything... I'm actually showing you that you're worth something, that I've made you, that I desire you, that I think highly of you, that I'm, I'm giving you this good and lavish gift, and he gives this great gift of food. I once saw a bumper sticker that played off of this. Instead of, if we went back to God's original plan, we would all be naked vegetarians. <laughs> it's a little tongue-in-cheek, I admit it. But it's drawing us into this text that the first thing that God does for us in the garden is not put us to work, even though he tells us what our mission is, even though he instructs us and says, this is what you are going to do. The first thing God does for us is to give us this good gift of food. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have a complicated relationship with food? It becomes a struggle for many of us. It actually becomes the occasion for the first overt sin in Scripture. The first overt sin of taking that forbidden fruit and eating it corresponds with that first good gift that God gives of here is all the food that I'm giving you. And they decide to reject all that God has given and take the one thing that he has forbidden. That gift of food, God's goodness saying, I know what you need and I've got you covered. I'm taking care of you. And then God does something else. He ends the sixth day. I don't know if you caught that, but we're, we come on the scene at the very end of God's gift to us, right? Uh, of God's creative act. We come in at the end of the sixth day. And you know the first thing you do at the end of the sixth day? You go to sleep. <laughs> God created us. And then said, now go to sleep. The sixth day ends. There was evening and morning the sixth day and it comes to an end. And God has created us not to send us out to work right away, but, but to give us food and tell us to basically go take a nap. 
go rest. And then the next day, he wakes us up and, and says, I've got another gift for you. Today's a day of rest. I don't know about you, but I was brought up in a home where you worked before you rested. That makes sense to anybody else? That you actually had to look at the chores you had to do for the day and you had to check off the chores. I can remember already when I was probably about eight or nine years old, we had a list that we have with little checkbox next to the list and we'd have to go check those things off after we finished them. Did you wash dishes? Check. Did you vacuum the living room? Check. Did you make your bed? Check. Did you mow the yard? Well, I kind of mowed it. <laughs> I once took the mower and made little shapes of figure eights in the yard. I had to redo it. <laughs> but I was brought up in a home where that value of work was, was ingrained early on. And we had to, we had to go out and do the work. And, and the idea was after your work was done, then you could go play with your friends down the street. After your work was done, then you could watch a TV. Even after your work was done, then you could read a book. After your work was done. But there are so many things in this creation story around our, our being given life initially that flip that on, the end, on its head. There was evening and then there was morning. Our posture of rest and sleep comes before the calling to work during the day in that creation account. And then we're created, and we're created with this mission that is going to involve lots of work, but we're created in such a way and at such a time that God gives us the gift of rest before we've done anything, before we've earned our break, before we've earned that sense of, of I've arrived. It's really important in our culture today, you know that? to hear this text for what it's saying and for how it says it, that God is the one who gives us the gift of food without us having to earn it, that God's the one who invites us into rest before we've done anything that we need rest from, it becomes rest for. It becomes rest with. And we live in a culture that's telling us work, 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 or win the lottery and escape from work, but it doesn't know how to rest. Admittedly, I've actually wanted to preach on this text probably five or six times over the last few years. I've wanted to, to enter into this text with all of you, and I found myself having to stop because I've recognized my own tendencies towards a workaholic attitude. You ask my family, I go back crazy on vacations because I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know how to sit and be still. Uh, oftentimes, I'll get home at night after a meeting here from church, and the thing I'll do is I'll open up my email just to see if there's been emails that have come in after the council meeting. Sometimes there are. <laughs> but then I'll end up doing emails and other work until midnight. And I realize I'm not resting. I'm working and I continue to work. And I've had to allow this text to speak into my life and to start changing, notice I say start changing, my habits and my own patterns. I've had to learn how to sit and be still and do nothing 
I've had to learn what it means to practice Sabbath rest, to enter into that space with God. Because so much of what I've grown up in and so much of our culture tells us to keep working and that there's more to do and the job's not done. And until the job's done, you don't sit down. You don't stop. And yet here, in the beginning of the whole gospel story that we talk about, this whole biblical narrative, we have God creating us in such a way and in such a timing that the first thing he calls us to do is to eat and rest with him. To eat and rest with him. There's an invitation here for us. Actually, three of them that I can hear there may be more. One, this text is not inviting us to say there's no work to do and we should rest forever and ever. The text is saying rest on the Sabbath day. Enter into that space where God gives us rest because if you attempt to keep working and keep working and keep working, you will burn out. In fact, the call is to rest and then work. We all need seasons of rest and we all need days of rest. We need moments where we are stopping and we are still. We need times in our day where we rest and enter into that rhythm that God gives in this passage of there was evening, there was a time for resting, and then there was morning, a time for working. There was the sixth day, and then there was a seventh day of rest before they get to the point where God places Adam in the center of garden and says, now work. There was time to rest. It wasn't a resting from, it was a resting with God in preparation for the work God's calling us to. So I invite all of us simply to take an audit of our schedules, our calendars, Where are the spaces where you are resting? Where are those spaces where you are pausing and being still with God? There's another uh, another piece in this text. It invites us to recognize that our identity and our value and our worth is not tied up in what we can produce. All through this text, it comes as the crowning moment of creation that God is is entering humanity into the scene and, and entering humanity in as God's very image in creation. And that's before we do anything. Our value is not in what we produce. Our value is not in our status. Our value is not in how much we accumulate Our value is not in our reputation. Our value, our value as people rests solely in the fact that God created us and God chose to be with us. God desires us to be with him. Certainly in spaces like this where we gather for worship, but as a pattern of life throughout our days, our value rests in that our fact that our creator desired for us to exist and desired for us to be with him. Not in what we produce. Not in what we create. Not in the grades we get at school. Not in the things we accomplish. But in the fact that God made us. And because of that, God loves us. And there's one more. In a world that tells us we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, 
that we need to make our way in this world, that we need to earn enough and provide for ourselves, that we need to be independent. There are some good principles in there. But when the world's messages continue to say that again and again, this text reminds us that God is our provider. God is the one who provides us with our most basic needs, food and sleep. God is the one who gives them to us as good gifts. And we have this tendency not to recognize that. To fall into the trap that the Israelites did. Deuteronomy 8, you may remember, as Moses is giving this final speech to the people before they enter the promised land. He says, when you enter this land that's flowing with milk and honey, do not forget the Lord your God. Don't get caught up in all that you've done and all that you see and all that you receive and go, look at what my hands have done for me. For it is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to work and the ability to accumulate wealth. It's God's gift that gives us the ability to live, to move, to have our being. And even more so, if we take this story through Scripture, God leads us to the point where where he gives us his own son. And as we listen to that gospel story, and the way Paul puts it especially, he who did not hold back his own son, he who gave his own son for us, how will he not also with him, along with him, give us all good things? Again and again, Scripture reminds us to return to that space where we understand that God is our provider. He provides for us physically, He provides for us spiritually in terms of our relationship with God, sending Christ to die on the cross to restore us, to forgive us of our sins, something we couldn't do for ourselves. And he points us again at the end of Scripture to that place where the new heaven and the new earth come, and there's an overflowing abundance of creation, and it talks about how the leaves of the tree will be for the healing of the nations. The things that are broken in this world, the things that have gone wrong, God is the one who is going to provide for us again. God is our provider. To invite you this morning to receive the good gifts of God, to receive those gifts where he says to you, I've got you. You're in my hands. I'm holding on to you. I'm providing for your basic needs and I will continue to do so and I'm inviting you to enter in to my rest, a pattern of living, a pattern of engaging with me here and now that's not all about what you can produce and what you can do, but it's about learning to sit and be still with me. Come, enter in. Hear these words then as we close. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my ways are easy. God will provide. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he invites you to come to him and find rest. Let's pray. Lord our God, we live in a rapid-fire culture that's constantly pushing us to do more, to do more, to do more. That wraps our identity up in what we accomplish compared to others. 
that tells us our worth and our value is in how much we can do, how much we can accumulate. You start your story off, our story off, in such a different place. Help us to hear your invitation to come to you to find rest. Help us to hear you inviting us to enter into your rest, to sit with you, to be still. May you quiet our hearts. May you slow us down. May you set us free from the lies that enslave us, that we may receive the good gifts that you offer to us. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I invite us to stand and sing in response, not what my hands have